you know, as a pastor, um, one of the things that, at least for me, um, it really is, is sad. Uh, whenever a person that you've grown and you've ministered and you, you walked uh, the walks of life and, uh, um, and, and also the fact that, you know what, um, a younger person who, who's been kind of int- instrumental in, into our ministry, uh, Josh, um, for myself and for the pastoral staff, we are going to dearly miss uh, your presence, uh, not only in the Cajones, but also in, in our ministry. So um, one of the things that we, we want to say to you, Josh, is that, you know, um, oh, I don't know why you're going to Southern California, but um, <laughs> you are welcome back anytime. And then we are, we are behind you 100%, and um, we are going to truly... Um, miss you very much. Uh, we are in, in a sermon series called God's Blueprint for a Transformation. And the hopes and the prayers uh, of, of the ministry is that every time that you would come to this place, that you would meet God. And that the things that God is asking of us that you wouldn't just kind of put it in your head or put it in your heart and just to walk away, that you would really, really apply the truth that God is inspiring or maybe tugging at your heart. You know, when Linda challenged us, hey, anyone, you know, want to give through the QR, I hope there's got to be at least one person who's worthy to receive that Cheetos. Okay, guys? And so, you know what, um, please go talk to Linda, right? And, and to be able to really say, you know what, I, I, I want to really, really be challenged. Or I know God is tugging at my heart right now. This morning as I was driving with my wife, one of the prayers that I said before as I prepare, um, you know, God's message is that, you know what, God is here. And God's desire, I'm already giving you the premise of my sermon, is that God's desire for us is to meet him. For us to meet him and him us. And whatever that he's asking of us to do is that we would really, really follow. We would really obey because obedience is better than sacrifice. You know, um, I, I want to pray before we, we dive into today's message. But you know what? I, I really, really challenge you guys. If God is tugging at your heart right now, whatever that is, whatever that is, I, I really want you to just do not be a status quo. Because we really do desire, right? We really desire that you guys are transformed. You know, the songs that, that we just sang, the communion, right? It says that, you know what, here, here, dead things come back alive. Amen? Amen, right? And, and he is closer. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I was listening to the, I was reading the, the lyrics. He is closer than our skin. Now, how could he be closer what does that entails? And the fact that is, you know what, he's us. He's inside of us. He's around us. He's us, right? Because we were created in his image, right? And if he's saying, right, if he's saying, I want you to whatever, right? I, I really want you guys to be transformed, not just kind of, yeah, you know what, and just walk away and relive that kind of a life. What my desire is that when you leave this place that you will become, oh, you have become a transformed people. 
So my desire, my desire for this morning is that, you know what, you would meet God and that you would leave this place as a transformed people. Father God, I just pray earnestly and, and wholeheartedly that, Lord, the desire of your heart will be my desires and our desires. And I ask in the name of Jesus that what you ask of me and of us, Father God, will not be a status quo, that we will become a transformed people. And when we leave this place, Father God, people will be recognizing us that Jesus is, is closer than our skins because he, he is, you are us. And I desire, Father God, that, that we will be able to emulate we want to be able to really give this world the hopes and the desires because you are the true, the way, and the life. And this morning, Father God, would you just use the mouth that I'm about to be using, you're going to be using, and I ask in the name of Jesus, would you just right now, Father God, declare your powerful message unto us. And I pray all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, this week I read an interesting article by David Mamet um, titled, Words Are Deeds. And this is what he wrote. People may or may not say what they mean, but they always say something designed to get what they want. And people are driven by very real desires and needs and that everything that we do, every action we take, every gestures that we make, every words we say is a way of satisfying our needs and desires. No matter how hard we try, we cannot help but to reveal our intentions both in a positive or in a negative way. Now, this morning, you don't have to scratch your heads, okay? You don't have to scratch your heads or second guess the reason why God created the tabernacle, because he says it. Now, I don't know if you guys ever, now, I know that the youth had gone, actually gone through the tabernacle last week. If you really see the design, the blueprint of why God orchestrated, why God gave Moses the blueprint the design for the tabernacle, it's very intriguing. Do you guys know that the Ark of the Covenant, the room of the Holy Holy was in the middle, right? In the middle of the tabernacle, while four of, of the sides were occupied by three of the tribes. And, and there was a reason why certain tribes were located in the east, west, north, and south. Judah was in the east, Reuben was in the south, Ephraim was in the west, and Dan was in the north. There's a reason why. And if you see, it really, really emulates the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, once again, you don't have to second guess why God gave us the blueprint because he says it in Exodus 25 verse 17 through 22. And this is what God's word says. You shall make a mercy seat of the pure gold and two of the half a cube shall be length, cubits and half its width. You shall make two cherubims of gold of hammer work. You shall make them at the two end of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim will stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seats with their wings. 
And they shall face one another. The face of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the top, in the ark, you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And look at this, verse 22. And there I will be able to meet you. I will speak with you from the above the mercy seats, from between the true cherubim, which were the ark of the testimonies, about everything which I will give you in the commandments to the children of Israel. God's intention of building the tabernacle was that he wanted to meet with his people. I mean, it, it clearly states right here is that I want to be there with you. So that's why he, he, he gave us, right? He gave us the blueprint and he hands it over to Moses. And I, I want you to build this for me. And I've given in this kind of a layout of the tabernacle, this moving worship place. Now, this has to be a moving worship place because they're always constantly moving, right? Because when the, when the clouds moved, right, some two million people scurried up and pack up their bags and, and then they follow the cloud. Now, uh, something interesting about the tabernacle, the first thing that you will notice about the tabernacle is the fence, it was seven foot high, and it only had one gate. Now, this is very important. And there was this one entrance, one gate, one way in, and you had to have a sacrifice with you, as the picture details. You couldn't just go in and say, hey, you know what, God, I want to hang out with you. You see, you can't just do that. You have to have a sacrifice. And it had to be viewed by the priest, and the priest has to accept the sacrifice. So you would go into the door of the tabernacle. He would take the animal and inspect it, and then he would bring it to the inside of the tent enclosure. Then he would kill the animal and put it on the benches where there was the altar, and he would sacrifice it. And he would have his hands washed upon the altar of the sacrifice. And then, once you have got into the courtyard of the tabernacle, the courtyard itself was about 150 deep and 75 wide. Now, it was just a white cloth that formed by the perimeter fence. And there was this big altar, a bronze brass altar of sacrifice that faced now the east, I hope I'm getting the right east, closer toward the holy place where there laid a basin or a lavar of washing. Now, in the middle of the courtyard, there was a tent facing the west. Now, the tent was about 45 feet long and 15 feet wide, and it was divided into two rooms. And you couldn't see inside and you couldn't go inside unless you were the priest. Now, the first room was about 30 feet deep, and the second room was about 15 feet deep. And inside the first room, it was called the room of holy, just room of holy. In the holy place, there was several furnitures, the first furnitures. As you would walk in, you would look toward the right, toward the north. You would see a table of showbread, also in the front of the veil, separated by the two rooms, was an altar of incense 
And then on the other side, there was a lampstand called menorah. And separating these two rooms was a veil, the room of the holy place and the room of the holy, holy place. And in the holy, holy place, there was this one article of furniture that was the Ark of the Covenant, which, by the way, was the most important furniture throughout the whole tabernacle because God said that he would dwell between these true cherubims, the angels. And he said in verse 22, and there I will meet with you. I will speak with you from the above mercy seat, from the between the two cherubims which are on the ark of the testimony about everything which I will give to you in the commandment to the children of Israel. Now, on top of this article, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, there were these two angels, we called it the cherubims, facing each other, looking down. Now, they were, fa- they were looking, but they were actually looking down at the blood that would cover the people's failures in order to keep God's law. And these two cherubims would see, and that's why this place was called the mercy seat, because God will act upon on the behalf of his people, not based upon what they have done, but in spite of what God has done for them in their lives. You see, God has shown mercy and not give them what they deserve. And that's where God will meet with his people Illustrating that God was merciful. And on this place, God is saying, I want to meet with you. I know that you can't keep my standards. I know that you have failed. But my blood will cover all your failures. Now, aren't you glad that God looks at us through the blood of his son, not through the lens of our own failures, but through the lens that the blood of Jesus Christ had shed on Calvary. You know, right now, I'm going to throw out a, a very, very fancy word to you guys. And this fancy word is called propitiation. The the process of atonement of this sacrifice is called propitiation, or in a Greek word, helasterion, which stands for mercy seat. Now, once again, nobody's going to leave this place, helasterion, propitiation, and mercy seats. But this is very, very important because if you read in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, And this is what he says, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the rest of the world. Now, I want you to pause here for a moment. We're going to come back to the latter part, the second part of this verse, but verse 2, he himself is the propitiation for our sins. Jesus is, Jesus Christ is the atoning sacrifice In other words, our sins, which is, once again, Hilasterion, he is the mercy seat. You know that Apostle John and the author of Hebrews, because we don't know who wrote Hebrews, 
as well as Paul in the, the book of Romans, specifically uses this word, Jesus Christ is our mercy seat. And the only place that God will meet with his mankind is in the place of Jesus Christ. And if you want to have a fellowship with God, Jesus is the only way. And he is the truth, and he is the life. Now, can, I, can you go back to the tabernacle? This is very interesting because the, very, the picture of the tabernacle, please. Can we do that? Right here. So I, I don't know if you guys were paying attention. There was that entrance of only one gate, right? And the courtyard, right? And then there is these two rooms. If you take a look, one way, there's only one way. And the truth, what we need to do, and the life. How do we get life? How do we get life? By the blood of Jesus Christ, right? By redemption. So if you take a look in what John 14, 6 declares, this is describing what the tabernacle says, that it is the way, the truth, and the life. Even from the get-go, even from Genesis and in, in Exodus and in, in blueprinting the, the tabernacle, God was sharing there is only one way, the truth, and the life to me. You know, um, Easter is one of my favorite holidays. I don't even know if it's a holiday or not, right? Now, as you know, the, the, our life is, is dictated by holidays if you actually get a day off. I don't think we get day off, right? Do we get day off? I don't know. But my, my, my favorite ho- my holiday is Easter, and Easter is just around the corner. And my prayer request is that I want you to remember. That's why... You know, Pam and some other people, you know, we designed these stations of the cross so that you guys will remember the life, the trials, and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. I want you to reflect the price set before as God freed us from slavery, from sin, and from the dominion of Satan. I want you to remember that it was Jesus Christ who paid the highest price on Calvary so that you and I could be adopted to his family. He gave his only and only begotten son so that whoever shall believe will not perish but will have eternal life. Amen. Good. Amen. Now, those of you guys who forgot my extra credit, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not getting it. I'm not feeling it, Okay. Amen. Amen. You know, as a pastor, one of the things that I think is most difficult about preaching is illustrating a concept that we already know. Those of you guys who grew up in the church, you know, when I tell my friends, you know, I have people who have been in the church, our church, for 40 years, 50 years, and they're all mesmerized, especially Korean American churches. What? 40 years, 50 years. One of the difficult things about preaching is illustrating this very, very simple concept. And I threw out this kind of a complicated word, propitiation, mercy seat. Because those of you guys who grew up in the church, 
we've heard it so many times. We really don't really fully grasp the magnitude. Sometimes, you know what, we just go and we just don't really understand the magnitude of the sacrifice that he had to do in order for God to meet us at the mercy seat. So I was kind of scratching my head this week. It says, you know what, how do I illustrate? How do I illustrate something so simple and yet so large, so huge, so heavy? So I'm going to throw out a question to you this morning. Does anybody know what Jesus said on the cross? What was his first word on the cross? Anybody know? Anybody know what was Jesus, right? When Jesus was put on the cross, he was raised up, right? He was raised, he was propped up. Between 9 and 12, he said three words. From 12 to 3, right? He said four words. When the darkness covered the earth and rest of the land, when all things subsided, right? He said four words. So three words between 9 and 12, and 12 to 3 said four words. But the question is, does anybody know what the first word was when he was propped it up on the cross? And the word was, Father, forgive them. You know, this short word, it's very shocking. I don't know if you guys understand the magnitude it's shocking because of the kind of death that jesus was about to face very shameful and very very painful i don't know about you guys you know what whenever i have a paper cut i go crazy like ah let alone can you imagine can you imagine you see the world has pushed jesus aside from birth till death you remember when Mary and Joseph were looking for an inn, and what did the innkeeper say? There's no room. From, from the get-go, Jesus was rejected. And King, do you guys remember King Herod? When, when he heard, right, oh, there's another king, what, what did he decide to do? He, he made an edict, right? A law said, you know what, kill every children and all the boys, Right? And the Jewish leaders mounted an accusation against him. And like everywhere Jesus went, right, that he couldn't go safely. Sometimes, you know what, all these accusations. And what about the crowds as, they were, as Jesus was being trialed? What do they say? As, as Pontius Pilate says, okay, you have a choice. I, I could have this guy being released or Jesus being released. And the crowds cheered, crucified, crucified, crucified. But Jesus' first word on the cross was, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And I don't know about you, but isn't this an unusual request for a victim? You see, it's not in our natural tendency to say things like this. I mean, come on, think about it. If you were the victim and people make false accusation about you, when someone attacks your character, right, which is not true, which is false, but, and how do you respond? How do you respond? 
Like, when was the last time you were on the freeway, someone cuts you off and you almost die, like near-death experience, and those of you guys say, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Anybody? No way. No way. It's unnatural. Right? Exactly, exactly. You know what? I don't know. You know, I, I, I'll, I'll be very transparent because my wife's back there. <laughs> you know, I, I actually, in like my early, you know, um, in my marriage to my wife, I've actually chased after them. Dude, I'm, I'm chasing after them. Or, 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 or I'm praying, Lord, judge that person, right? Send a police officer right now because I almost died. Come on, it's unnatural. We don't see things like that. Especially as a victim. And there's a person by J.W. Wilde, he said, when Jesus spoke the very first words while being reared upon the cross, it is worthy of a remark that as soon as the great blood of sacrifice began to flow from the great high priest, it was here when Jesus began to intercede for the humankind before the God, the great Father, so that the Father could meet with his mankind. And did you know the very first word that is spoke on the cross was not in the past tense, but in a continual action. As to say, not just once, but repeatedly Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Perhaps when Jesus was stripped of his garment and laid naked on the cross, he said to the Father, Father, forgive them. And when the Roman soldiers pierced and spiked and nailed his hands, Jesus once again said, Father, forgive them. And more nails were applied to his feet. He said, Father, forgive them. And when the cross was raised up and people mocked, and once again Jesus said, Father, forgive them. You see, Jesus praying this this forgiveness. And I realize that forgiveness is the greatest need in our life. It was on his first and foremost list because it's the first foremost of importance. Jesus had to propitiate before mankind so that his holy father could come and meet with And as long as forgiveness, when we have done something wrong to someone else, whether that it's friends or families, but sometimes I feel like those of going into the church all our lives, how come we don't ask for forgiveness unto the Lord? Relationship requires forgiveness because God wanted to meet with us. Simply, his desire 
was to meet with us. And because he was an almighty God, all righteous God, he had to have a propitiation, a mercy seat, someone who could actually stand in the gap so that his desire was to be met. And that is in the heart of Jesus. You know, last Saturday, Jesse and I were in Fremont helping out a, a African-American, um, not African-American, Afghan-American community. And those of you guys who've been in our prayer, uh, mission prayers, we actually had Pastor Mike and Pastor Hannah come and share the testimonies how he left Afghanistan here in Fremont, and he's, he's ministering to the Afghan community over there. And, and we had about 30,000 eggs. We were hiding them. We were, you know, having a great old time. And, 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 you know, whenever I meet a person who really sticks out his neck for Christ and, and for the cross and for the church, I, I respect Still to this day, that he's getting threats. He's still getting a kind of a pushback from the Afghan community in Fremont. And his desire, his passion for the Afghan community. And he was telling me, because I, I met him this week, and he said, You know what, Pastor Ben? My, my heart really goes out for this people. Yeah, they're, they're my people. And he says, you know, it, I can't sleep at night sometimes. Knowing the fact that if they die, they will not be with the Lord. And he was telling me that in my own consciousness that I cannot live my life knowing that my brothers and sisters are going to another place where they cannot meet with God. And so me and Jason are waiting, um, uh, helping them out, and, and um, they, they call me and says, hey, Pastor Ben, would you be able to go to a nearby church, and, and would you be able to help unload some other table? So, yeah, we went. It, it, it was a church maybe five minutes from where we were, and we went, and there was a, a bunch of group of guys that... They were there, and, and it was AA meeting. It was an alcoholic anonymous meeting. They had it. They just finished it, and we went and says, hey, you know what? We're from this, you know, community. We need some tables. And they didn't know what we were talking about. And we're trying to, you know, all the guys were trying to figure out where, where we we're going to go to get the tables. While we were waiting, all of a sudden, this guy, who was actually from Bethel Church in Reddings, all of a sudden, he started to have a conversation with these guys who were, ha were at the AA meetings. And all of a sudden, within like, seriously, three, three, four minutes, he was leading these people to the Lord. Seriously, they, they, like I come back, like try to get the tables, and all of a sudden, we're having a revival meeting at this one, this one little, little rooms. It, 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 seriously, he's praying in tongues, and he's going all around. Now, this is the reason that I'm telling you the story, is that everything was done, and there was praying, and we were about to leave. One guy chases after and says, Matthew, 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 thank you so very much. Because... I've been living in Fremont for how many years, and I have never heard of the gospel. And I just said, what? In, in America, you have never heard of the gospel? 
And, and, and all of a sudden, it's like, it dawned on me that sometimes we meet people, land of free, we have churches, and yet there are still people within our midst has never heard the gospel, and all of a sudden, it just struck me. And that is so true, isn't it? Seriously, there are people in your life that God is tugging at your heart, go, and I want to go. I want to use you to, to minister to those people. And, and sometimes you say, you know, I'm so shy, I'm afraid, I don't know what to say. It's like, you know, you feel like sometimes, I don't know what to say with God. When God told Moses to go, right, he goes, I, I can't really speak very well. And all of a sudden, this African-American person grabbed our hands and he said, you know what, thank you, thank you, because at least I know how much Jesus loves me. Isn't it true sometimes that going into church, being born into and raised in a church Sometimes we feel like we know this. And sometimes we miss the biggest picture. I have an extra credit for you. Another extra credit. Um, I, I was thinking... I'm in charge of the Friday night, and I and we, we're going to have this awesome band. I think you know we have a video of them worshiping. You know they they sound much better than what I remember. And and Pastor Peter, the guy who is leading worship, I mean, you, just just like don't go, just watch the video. We're going to have this great group, and Friday night we're going to have a, like a time of worship and prayer. I really want you guys to come. Not, don't, don't come just by yourselves. I really want you guys to invite other people. And I'm thinking, like, you know, what can we pray for? Are, are we going to pray for our, our, our financial crisis? Or are, are we going to pray for this? Are we going to pray for that? And all of a sudden, God said, you know what? There's 3.7 billion people in this world who still do not know so my extra credit it's not due this week it's actually due on April 28th I want you to start making a list okay don't just okay I'm pretty smart I can remember things no guys you will forget trust me I want you to start making a list start jotting down names that you know it could be your coworkers. It could be your relatives. It could be your brothers and sisters. I, I have two brothers. One is on the border. He's, he's, he's about to come over. But my youngest one, man, he's so far. I, I, could, I could come up with, 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 seriously, guys, maybe a couple hundred people on my list. I, I want you to start making a list. And on that April 28th, on Friday night, as we worship and as we pray, and I want us to just cry out to the Lord, would you meet with so-and-so? Lord, would you just stir in my heart to know? Would you 
use me to reveal the most powerful truth and that your desire was to meet us. That's why he went through this whole ordeal, this blueprint. You know, guys, sometimes, (laughs) I'll be honest with you, when we actually did the design of the blueprint, I'm like, I'm looking at it, I'm looking at the equations, and it's already making me headaches, right? God gave us the blueprint so that, once again, his desire was to, to save. Can we shoot back? And I'm going to conclude with this. To 1 John 2, 2, the latter part. He himself is the propitiation. That's the desire of his heart is to meet us. Not just us. Look what it says. Not for only us, but for, for the rest of the world. From the get-go, from the beginning, his desire wasn't that, you know, a CLC would just only become a CLC. His desire that there is, I think it's 8 billion right now, right? There's 8 billion people. But is there anybody in this room who has a desire that, you know what, there's people in this world is not going to meet with him? And do you have a heart? Do you, do you, do you have a desire? Do you ache? Whenever there's people, this one person, I am so grateful because you have actually shown me the way, the truth, and the life. I I will never forget it because he came out and says, thank you so very much because I've actually heard the gospel. And for me, I thought that could never happen in America, but it did. It does. But whenever you go and you ever experience things like that, do you actually ache in your heart? There's people that still do not know Jesus Christ. And God's desire for us to meet is not only for us, but for the rest of the world. So as an extra credit, start just jotting down. Get a little notebook. My coworkers, my maid, you know, my gardeners, I don't know. I bet you, you you're going to have, and you know what, on that 28th, on Friday night, I bet you it's not going to be just five, ten minutes. You got three, four hundred people, you're going to be calling out their names. It's not going to be just five, ten minutes. And I'm really, really excited for that night. Not only because of a great worship, but because, you know what, we're actually praying for what God has commanded, what God is tugging at my heart and hopefully your heart so that people would meet with him. Father God, we don't want to play just a church story where we just come, we just fellowship and have great food. But Father God, we really want to be the kind of people that you have actually allowed us to tug and to move in our hearts to go not only into Judea, to Samaria, but the ends of the earth. Father God, I ask in the name of Jesus that your desire was to bring a sacrifice, your son, so that you may be able to propitiate on behalf so that you can come and meet with us, not only us, but for the rest of the world. Father God, I ask in the name of Jesus, would you right now stir in us, stir in our hearts, Father God, start making that list, and then on that 28th, we're going to cry out, 
We're going to intercede. We're going to ask that Lord powerfully and work in those people's lives so that one day they will not be able to say, my goodness, I've been living in America and I've never heard the gospel before. Father God, I just pray that you would just use our ministry, Oakland Worship Center, and be able to really bring this gospel to the ends of the earth. Father God, I thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.